Hello and welcome to episode four of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. This is our, the After Lord Mayor's Show edition. Uh, last week we had, uh, of course, the Bobby Moore special with many famous West Ham alumni. And we've got uh, an equally famous uh, part of the West Ham setup. In essentially, he's a motivational speaker for West Ham, no less. He's also an Olympic gold medalist rower, Mr. Mark Hunter. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on this evening. Looking forward to it. And, of course, we're joined by uh, Knees Up Mother Brown podcast regular, James Longman. Lovely to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. What an awesome team. Like Every week we're getting an even more accomplished team together. A gold medalist this week. I suppose you've got to start somewhere. Start at the bottom <laughs> with me and work up. Have you got a motivational speech for us for, for this week? Like anything we can do to... I haven't got enough time. <laughs> um, well, thank you, first of all, for all the, all the uh, feedback you've given us on the Bobby tribute. It was a pleasure to do it, and it seems like it. you enjoyed it. And, of course, it is still available on iTunes and on the Knees Up Mother Brown website. So if this is your first time listening to the show, why don't you go back and listen to that? Because uh, it was very good. Not, the word, not my words, the words <laughs> of our fans. Yeah, it's something we're very, very proud of. Yeah. Okay, but let's crack on and talk about uh, recent uh, news at West Ham, and that, of course, has to deal with the West Ham United 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3 result a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mark, you first. What was your take on the game? Um, I I thought it was a cracking game. It was entertaining. It was great to be there. And obviously with the Bobby Moore tribute, it was a special evening for everyone, I think, at the stadium. Um, But, you know, as Big Sam spoke about, that kind of opportunity to go 3-1 up, didn't take it, and then... You know, we got punished by a silly second goal for them and then a bail special kind of destroyed us. James, your thoughts? Um, it was a... I mean, I agree with Mark, it was a cracking match. It was a cracking match of football, but it's so heartbreaking to be on the end of another kind of, you know, goal, a spectacular goal that kind of destroyed our hopes and we're almost the architects of our own downfall with it. Um you know, after having that chance at, at two, one with Matt Taylor, um, and it's just such a shame, you know, because you think mm. if he had scored that, and it was perfect for him because he kind of his body was open, left foot just to keep it at angle, it all seemed perfect, and then it just wasn't to be, and, and yeah. then they pretty much went up the other end and scored. I, th- and, I think he was kind of shocked he had so much space. <laughs> you know, he kind of. Yeah. Looked a bit stunned that he was on his own. Um, obviously, he didn't put it away, but I think throughout the game, like Bow was just getting the ball and just shooting from anywhere. You mm. can tell he's a player on form. You know, he's really confident, and we were just giving him too much space all night, and it just encouraged him to do that. And as soon as he got the ball, you know, you knew what he was going to do. Like I could see from like sixty yards away, instantly his body language. He got the ball and he was going to just hit it straight away. The, the shot for that winner, I know. Uh, I think Gary O'Neill beat himself up a little bit in the afterwards in the aftermath and said he should have got closer to him. But when you look at that back, you just can't give Gareth Bale that amount of space. He's got so much ability. No, but it's tough, isn't it? Because as they quite rightly say, if you close him down, he can get past you. So you don't want to be too close. Yeah. And then if you're you're too far back, then he can shoot a you know a cracking goal yeah. it's kind of a no win situation he is a player on form he's an outstanding player at the minute I, I think also his fitness level was incredible yeah. like he was the guy that was continually running all night like he didn't stop and he just seems to have as you said that extra yard of pace but I do think you still need to shut him down no matter what make him go around you then somebody else can cover it was just too much space all night long as an endurance athlete when you watch a game are you always looking to see who's running the most 
Yeah, definitely. And, uh, <laughs> that's something you always look for. You can yeah. tell who you know really appreciates the kind of fitness aspect behind the scenes, working hard, and you could just tell that he's always got the extra yard of pace throughout the game. He doesn't seem to slow down, and you can just tell that he's got a really good work ethic away from the game. And you know, he can really open things up when he can let loose like that. And he just, as people are getting t- tighter, he just seems to move on and you know has that even more pace, or it seems he has more pace because he just he looks fresher. It's also, we usually have, um, you know, obviously Mark Noble was absent uh, and he's usually our fittest player and the stats always show that he's the one who's run the most during the matches. Yeah. So it's, you know, maybe it made a difference. I mean, also, we didn't have Nolan or Noble in the middle, which is, you know, a completely new centre midfield trio, really. So I thought the heart was there and the fight was there and it was just a shame that they're better than us. <laughs> Such a shame. <laughs> they are just better than us. Why? I know, but um, we fought, and we fought, and it was like the first half of Arsenal. You know, we fought hard, you know, and everything was there. It's just lapses of concentration, you know, a little bit of, you know, Keystone Cops defending at times, you know, which is, as we keep talking about each week, creeps into our game more and more. And we played a team on the ascendancy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it breaks my heart to say it, but they are. Well, one of the key points, we just touched on it slightly there, Matt Taylor's chance when we were 2-1 and up to uh, take, take, take a 3-1 lead. Here's what Big Sam had to say about that. And the key moments for me just are that when you're moving into the final quarter of the game and you get the one-on-one and the best chance of the game um, for both sides, and, and obviously one-on-one with a goalie has got to be seen as one of the best chances in the game that you can get, and we missed it. That was a telling moment now because I don't think Tottenham come back from 3-1 really good, though, super but I know we've got to say we've got to score it and if you're going to beat Tottenham like we beat Chelsea you've got to put them in the back of the net and we put those ones in the back of the net against Chelsea to get 3-1 and, and they couldn't come back from that um, this one Tottenham came back from that and got the second goal and then got the worldie at the end that, that killed us off and he's absolutely right. I mean, Matt Taylor gets a couple of those chances a game. I feel like against, against I think it was at Liverpool, I think he got a chance. Like that. And against Chelsea, he missed the chance that I think it was that striker who's now left. That, who's, the, who's the one who, who followed it in? Maiga. Like, yeah. Taylor had that same chance against Chelsea and he, he missed it. The keeper parried it. He's getting in these positions, but his finishing isn't quite there yet. I think that's, a, you know, it's, what, but it's always the case once you get one of those then I'm sure the rest would have gone in. But if you don't get the first one, you know, even though it's a split second you have, that kind of moment of doubt can be there. And I think maybe that's what's there at the moment. Mm. Matt Taylor, for me, is one of those players that I want to be really good. And I think the best years are behind him. And I don't be harsh about it because he's a player I also think he's probably quite a good bloke. You know, and he's probably, you know, when he tweets and stuff, he's quite a decent guy and you think he's all right. He's quite intelligent. He, he hasn't quite, when he's left back, he gets skinned quite a lot. And then when he's played, you know, in front, then he he's, he's just not quite doing it for me. And it's a shame because I want him to be really good. But mm. I, th- I think you need kind of older players like that because he, he has got a tremendous work ethic. And I think you need players like that to educate the younger guys because they might be very skillful, but maybe they, you know, and you can see it in the kind of towards the end of the games when the gaps appear. They need to understand that they need to put the things in play in training to make sure that they don't leave those gaps and they're always, on, you know, on the ball and you know ready to go and don't have that lapse of concentration so I think you need those sort of players there 
you know, it's, it's really important that you learn from your, your peers sort of thing. Mm. Well, one player who's a, a kind of senior player who had an amazing game, you see Askelainen. Wow. What did you make of his performance? I mean, he's tremendous, wasn't he? Incredible. But, Wait, who is this guy? What, the thing is, though, he had the best game you see if he steal three goals. <laughs> was, so how does that work? <laughs> he had the best game, like you say, one of the best best game I've ever seen him have. But when I watched that first goal back, I was like, it's gone under you, you idiot. Like, I thought, again, three goals conceded, but and he still he still managed to have a good game. Yeah. I think one of the stats that Big Sam always brings up is that he has the most saves out of any goalkeeper in the Premiership. Yeah. I've always thought that's not something you should be proud of. That's, yeah. yeah, it's kind of not a good thing, is it? Because then the rest of the team aren't doing their job. That's mm. the problem. Um, but it's, it's great that he, you know, he is that consistent at saving, but there's only so many you can stop. And yeah. you know, if you're having the best game of your season and you still let three in, that's not great. No, it, I mean, he's not helped. It's, it seems to be a mutual lack of confidence. He's not helped by the defence in front of him. Mm. And I don't think they're helped by having him behind them because... You know, they're scared of passing to him. Every time it passes back, everyone in the ground goes, <gasps> <laughs> and they're scared of passing back to him, which as yeah. a defender, you always think, oh, you know, if you can't trust someone behind you. And like, they make too many mistakes themselves. So between, the, you know, the, whoever's playing in those five positions, it just seems to be a... But it's always, you know, when like somebody has a cracking game as he was having, and it was 2-1, and... There's always a it's going to be a silly goal that goes in and changes the game completely. And in that second goal that Tottenham got yeah. was you know it was, a, it was a fluke thing. It was nothing special about it. It was a yeah. scramble and it ended up in the back of the goal. It could have gone anywhere. Um, and you knew that that was the sort of thing that was going to change the game. And obviously then Tottenham got their towels up and you know away he goes again. That second goal in particular, it just seemed like that that goal felt like one of those dreams where someone's burgling your house and you can't do anything about it because the ball was just sat there and all the defenders are just like looking at it and you can just see the Tottenham players like oh I'm just going to knock this in then and like no one seemed to be doing anything about it. You want that Swansea uh, ball boy to run on and jump on it? <laughs> he had time. He could have run from Swansea. He had time. Yeah, it was motionless, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, as a cracking game of football and it's horrible to lose to Tottenham anyway. But if you're going to lose, you know, you want to see some fight. And we did fight um, and we played well and we didn't deserve to lose. And a lot of Tottenham um, friends um, have said, you know, they didn't deserve to win and the draw is a fair result. And I think, you know, coming out of that with us in a bad patch, I feel that could have turned us around for a Stoke match. And it's like um, a few seasons back when they beat us 4-3. Was that under Kerb? It was Kerbishly, wasn't it? Yeah. They beat us 4-3 and that's another belting match. Yeah. And that turned our season around because that's the one they said the team suddenly realised they can fight together. And, you know, mm, sometimes, sometimes out of that kind of loss, you grow stronger as a team. And hopefully I will. suppose, yeah, you learn more from your losses than you do your victories. You know, that's saying it's very easy to be a winner and you go along mm. like that and you forget the things that you've put in place. But when you have a tough loss like that, you know, you really analyse everything. And I'm sure they probably did and realised the great things they were doing. And the things they need to kind of just fine tune. So yeah, they would have, I'm sure, got a lot of confidence from that. We'll talk about the Stoke game in a minute. But do you think that the defeat to Spurs kind of then galvanised them a little bit? That you know, as a team, can it kind of pull you together a bit when you kind of lose unluckily like that? Yeah, but I think also you kind of with that loss, they'd have probably been really frustrated with losing because the game was theirs, and that is also something that will eat away, and you'll want to make put right next time. So I think that can bring you together because you know you. You've tasted that kind of finish line of winning, but you didn't quite get it. And everybody's kind of buying into the same thing now. Mm. 
Um, but one of the other kind of newsworthy points from the match itself was the booing of Scott Parker. <laughs> Scott Parker himself has kind of expressed he, that he wasn't very happy with that. I mean, was it right to boo Scott Parker? As a fan there watching, I was disgusted by that. It drove me nuts. Really? Oh, yeah, I thought it was really bad. I think, you know, what that guy did for the club, you know, all right, he left, he went to Tottenham, you know, he had to move. You know, he was that calibre of player. He should be playing in the Premiership. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stayed for us through thick and thin. You know, he was there for a long time. And the thing that annoyed me is that he was with West Ham for a long, long time. And if I go back to when I went to the Man City game, Tevez comes to the ground. Yeah. He played probably a quarter of the games, if that, that mm. Scott Parker did. And everybody adores him. And I'm like, how do you justify patting one person on the back who played for a short period of time with a guy that, Used to, he was the kind of Mark Noble, really, wasn't he? You know, he yep, yep. died for the club, basically. Mm. And people are booing him. I just didn't understand that. I think I think there's probably two reasons why, because I've heard this kind of Tevez argument, and I do agree with it. But I think the first reason is that he went to Tottenham, which I, I forget the kind of he, the, the transfer listed argument. I think going to Tottenham probably had some impact. Um, he left, he went to Spurs, but also Tevez shows this kind of passion and he, he crosses the hammers, and you know, whereas Scott Parker was never going to do that anyway. But I think if if he'd have done something like that, maybe at the start, they're just different characters, yeah. though, aren't they? You know, yeah. Scott Parker's a bit, you know, quieter, keeps himself to himself. Mm. Where Tevez is a bit more theatrical in the stuff that he does and how crazy he can be. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I don't see why you'd kind of choose one over the other like that. Mm. I really don't. It's a lot similar to the Decanio argument, isn't it? That people always go <laughs> about what a hero he was, and essentially, and they'll probably get abused for this, but he let us down in that final season. You know, under mm. Rhoda, he really let us down because he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't about. He caused unrest in the dressing room, you know. And we see him in, as his, his hero, and we chant his name. And I loved him as a guy. I loved him as a player. And it is that kind of Tevez mentalness that we seem to appreciate, but the, more the, you know, the, the English passion. mentality of kind of a Scott Parker. We're a bit like, oh, he's gone to Spurs. He's a dickhead. Yeah, but, you know, it's not it's not necessarily true. Is I think because he's a Brit as well. Yeah. <laughs> because of he's not. If, if you're a foreign player and yeah. come to Upton Park, you seem to be given, you know, um, the red carpet. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But I, I just don't understand why you'd you'd boo him. You know, I don't think that's I don't think that's good for football yeah. as a fan. Definitely. I had a non-plus attitude towards it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's the other thing. I just felt like people do didn't care either way about Scott Parker. Yeah. It was largely indifferent, but there was a smattering of boos, and that kind of made the boos a bit more pronounced. So I'll just go back to the guy. Who was the guy that came on as left back at the end of the Pogates. He was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't have much pace in the back. I'd have been booing him, not Scott Parker. The ma- his nickname's Mad Dog. Like, he's a, he's a psycho. He looked like That's he was completely out of place. He didn't know what was going on. He fits right in. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was remember Samasia Boo. Oh, yeah. Him. yeah, yeah, that was. A we remember him for his name yeah. and uh, little else. else. <laughs> um, just last thing on Scott Parker. There are uh, seven players who have won Hammer of the Year more than three times or more: Julian Dix, Billy Bonds, Alvin Martin, Trevor Brooking, Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, and Scott Parker. I mean, you would we would never even think about booing any of those other guys, would we? No. That just says it all for me. But I think, I, you know, what the, the, the silly thing is, I think, as a fan, you want to put these players on pedestals and you want Scott Parker to stay at West Ham forever and be a legend and be up there as one of the players we can go, he was one of ours, you know, because we did resurrect, we did 
not resurrects, but we helps his career get back on track. Um, and then I think a lot of fans feel that he let us down in our hour of need. And, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Mm. But that is kind of, I guess, some of that's behind it. I think also with football, the kind of loyalties of staying with one club your whole career has completely changed now. Yeah. You know, no one does that now. You know, like Ryan Giggs is unique in that way. Yeah. You know, 19 years or something like that. Mm. That is unheard of. No one does that in football anymore. Mm. You know, and I think, listen to that list, if you look at them all, they didn't really go anywhere else. They stayed at one yeah. club, and that's why they kind of won Player of the Year so many times, and mm. they're so iconic, and we talk about them as West End players. But in the, the game now, no one stays at a club more than a couple of years. And to be fair, we asked for some reaction on, on this point, and uh, we, we got quite a lot. And many people kind of disagree with the boom. You know, Johnny Burns, Johnny Burns Boots said the booing was rather childish. Players come and go, usually for the money, which is a fair point. Um, we also had uh, here from Arla A R L H A Arla. He said booing Parker was just wrong, um, and and again uh, John two five three also said booing Parker was just wrong. So maybe the kind of the vast majority who were indifferent actually w- against the booing. Another thing: were we selling him at that point for money anyway? Mm. No, because he's interesting. Here's here's another thing. So we're going on about this longer than we're into. <laughs> but other clubs came in from a, a bigger with a bigger offer. But he only wanted to go to Tottenham, so in a way, he wanted to stay you know, in London. In a way, he is he is scum. <laughs> yeah, he is scum. But no, because he wanted to, yeah. he could have gone. I think Galatasaray, someone like that, came up for, for more money, but he didn't want to go. He only wanted to go Spurs. And I, I, was, I was, Moose on Twitter was going on about he didn't want to leave or something. Um, and he did want to leave. You know, I've heard from the chairman that he put in a transfer request through his agent. He might not have said it personally, so, yeah. But he wanted to leave. He wanted to go to you know, a team in a premiership and he wanted to compete for top honours and West Ham weren't providing it at that, that time. You know, whether you agree with that, that is fact. Yeah. I you know, in a career, you you always want to push on in your career. And at West Ham at that stage, you're not pushing on. And I think what you just said, you just mentioned agent and they are such yeah. a big part of footballers now of where they're going to go, how much money they want. And they've probably, you know, tarnish the game with how greedy they are as well and I think that might have come into it a little bit as well yeah okay let's talk about let's do a quick couple of minutes on the Stoke game hell of a result Mark did you see this coming I don't know with the kind of games I've seen West Ham play it was it was there but obviously going to Stoke it's one of the toughest places Mm. to win and that is a massive plus winning there because people go there and normally lose or draw you know you never get a win there and I thought that was huge I was massively excited after the game. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of it, James? I was. It was genuinely a one a massive shock. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main point. But if you know, if you look at the stats, and we we had this the other week with um, with Swansea, where they'd conceded very few, and we beat them at home. Mm. And Stoke have only lost once at home. That's their second home defeat this season. So it proves what a massive, massive result that is. I mean. I always thought another couple of wins, th- th- I mean, Allardyce has said it as well, 36 and we're safe. Now I feel like we're safe because that is a massive result. I wish Especially everyone teams, would stop saying we're safe. Though. Especially <laughs> if teams at the bottom pick up points, I feel that's a massive result and, you know, we should win one of our last nine. So yeah. I think 36 points will be enough and that is just huge. You know, it's brilliant. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating now because I remember at the start of the season, like people were talking about like, that relegation. I was like, no. Middle of the table, that's where we should be aiming it at. We don't want to be talking about relegation. I think yeah. we're too good to be talking about relegation. I still mm. do. 
And I still think we're going to get more than three points in that last nine games, definitely. And I still think mid-table is where we should be pitching it at. Because if we start looking below us, then that's when you get dragged down into that. You know, you need to look ahead at the teams above us. Mm. I remember looking, straight after the Spurs game, I looked at the fixture list and I said, we are in a massive relegation <laughs> battle. I just remember thinking, I can't see us winning any of these games now. <laughs> and then to come against Stoke, immediately after the Stoke game, I was such a wave of relief. But I still don't think we're out of the woods. I still think, well, literally we're not. We need more points. And do you think we can kick on now and get them, collect them up? I'd like to think so. You know, you, you don't want to keep looking back and saying we need these points to survive. You know, if if you want to be a competitive team, you know, you've got to be looking a bit bigger than that. You know, we've got some great players playing well as a team. You know, we've lost some silly games. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, we proved against Stoke that is a really tough place to win. Mm. And I think that is a massive, like, positive they should be looking at. It's great to see Jack Collison back on the uh, score sheet. He's had, like, a lengthy layoff with injury. Mark, in your experience, have you ever had, like, a long injury and kind of come back? What's it like coming back from that? Coming back from injury is hard. Well, it's exciting. But when you're injured is the most frustrating time of your career. You know, it's horrible because, you know, you're on, you're doing rehab stuff. It could be rehab training or with a kind of physio. You know, you might not even be running or whatever. But just watching everybody else out there practicing, you know, playing games, there's nothing more tough than that to sit there and watch that. Um, you know, and he's gone through the, you know, he's had a really tough time this season, you know, because we didn't know whether he was going to come back. You know, mm. the injury he had, it looked yeah. like it could be really bad. It could be career-ending. Mm. Wow. Um, and to see him back out there, you know, it's brilliant. And, you know, he must be loving every game like, you know, he's been kind of blessed to go out there again and, you know, kick off his career again. So I think we can see a lot of him in the last couple of games, definitely. Mm. Exciting. Um, okay, so that's the Stoke game. Let's talk. Let's move on now and talk about... Billy Bonds has been honoured with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, it's the first one to ever have been honoured by West Ham. Uh, the timing comes right after the 20th anniversary of Bobby Moore's death. Um, is he the right man? Is, is he worthy of being the first person to get this award? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It feels like he's kind of been forgotten a little bit in the mm. last um, last few years. I mean, the fans obviously haven't, but I feel like the club's neglected him um, and how he left always leaves a bitter taste in the mouth um, through all the red nap dealing. So it's interesting to see the club recognise him now, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's a really, really is a good thing. And it'd be good to see him brought back, you know, and get involved in the club in some way, because I'd love to have him now. I think most people would love to have Bonzo there. Mm. I think, yeah, definitely. To have him, I remember as a kid, like, you know, he was the kind of guy you'd talk about. Um, obviously, you know, you had the kind of strikers, but he was a guy that you'd always kind of look to. He'd always be on the team sheet. Um yeah, and I think it's yeah, I think it's you know well justified that he's the first person. I'm surprised it's actually taken so long. I think I think the timing of it coming coming right off the back of Bobby Moore. I think they've they've kind of uh, David Gold was on the, on this podcast saying that uh, you know they, that not not enough was done after he finished playing football, and I think maybe that's kind of framed the way they're thinking about this now, and they're thinking, well, look what we've done to Billy Bonds. He's an absolute icon for West Ham. And this maybe is the way we're going to treat legends in future. Like, make sure you kind of honour them while they're they're still alive. Do you think Bobby Moore that that the 25th anniversary had anything to do with this? Maybe because we don't have anything in place mm. like that. Um, and it's, it is a shame to say say he wasn't around and you give him that, then it doesn't really do anything because he's he's not there. But to, for him to actually, you know, be able to enjoy it. I think it's the right way to go, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a good sign of the owners once again connecting with the fans and you know sensing what the fans want because 
as I say, you know, he's a hero to a lot of us, and it's great to have him back, you know, involved in some way. And, and I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let's talk a well as well about honours. Uh, on the last show, we uh, we had Jonathan Pierce on board, and uh, we asked him um, what he would like to see uh, in terms of statues at the new Olympic Stadium. Here's what he had to say. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see as you walk into that Olympic Stadium, that the Bobby is 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 honoured there a major statue and I'd love to see West Ham around the whole ground you know put up statues of other great legends you know Billy Bonds Frank Lampard people like this Trevor Brookin Phil Parks you know the, the Blair Allison Malcolm Allison who plays such an important part in Bobby's life people like this are honoured around the ground but, but Bobby should be the centrepiece yeah he should be the centrepiece of it all definitely so a very worthy list of uh, short list of uh, potential people for statues there. Mark, who would you like to see get a statue at the Olympic Stadium? Apart from yourself, Apart obviously. From myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, when West Ham is all signed and sealed and we do get there, I think, you know, all the kind of players you spoke about earlier, you know, that you've got kind of uh, Jeff Hurst, you know, Trevor Brook, all those guys, you know, they've added something to the club that's still spoken about today. And for me, that is something really special. Mm. And when people mention those names, you know, Bobby Moore, you know, I'm talking about Billy Bonds, you know, there probably won't be any room outside now for people to walk around because there'll be statues everywhere. But <laughs> I think, you know, it is iconic and people will like to see that and people appreciate it in that way that have really kind of you know, put the club on the map, not just for them being a player, but for them as a person. Mm. Ina Lunger has said, as a homage to the many catering facilities in and around West Ham, I believe a statue of Benny McCarthy would be fitting. <laughs> Sufficient amounts of marble allowing. We had uh, Anton Utalaukalowski. I'm, I'm really sorry about my pronunciation of that. Um, there's a great. He says there's a great image of Billy Bonds and Sir Trev together as the final whistle goes at Wembley in 1980. That would make a great statue. I've seen that picture there. I think it would. I'd like to see a statue of Gary Breen. <laughs> it would be sold for scrap. Down, the way they pull down Saddam's statue. <laughs> what more interesting is the players you'd least like to have yeah. a statue. So that's but, what we should I, ask. I gather other Tottenham again, there won't be a Scott Parker one. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a McDonald's there. You could have a, a McDonald's. Um, in, interestingly, uh, being an Olympian, what did you make at the Olympic Stadium? Us moving there. Yeah. Yeah, the Olympic Stadium, why the Olympic was on was incredible. The atmosphere in there was really unique and. Um, very special and I think we need something in there every week week in week out um, and I think it, it can work you know with the plans that I've seen of how they're going to change it so you know you will, the fans will be close to the pitch I think um, it's going to be incredible and I can't think of a better club to be in there I know we have our kind of ties and tradition with Upton Park but you know you look at all big clubs they all move now you know, they do move to bigger premises. Um, and I think it will engage the community more. They're not just going to kind of up and leave. They're going to take kind mm -hmm. of small businesses with them. And I think that's really important. And also the, the capacity to have kind of, you know, tickets for the community as well, you know, for schools and kids to come along. I think that's, you know, mm -hmm. that, that could be really useful. And I think, you know, we should embrace the change, you know, because times do change, you know, football changes, things move on. And this is a great opportunity. Would you be sad to leave Upton Park at all? Of course, you're always going to be sad. Mm. Yeah, because it's where I used to go as a kid, standing, getting there two hours before the game to stand behind the goal, you know, back mm. in the day. Um, those memories of looking up to the nice seats. I'd love to sit there or sit in the dugout. 
I've got to do that now, so it's quite <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, you kind of your memories go back to being a kid and kind of walking down kind of Green Street, going to the game, you know, getting your fish and chips or whatever on the way and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, as I said things do change, things do develop. Mm. As long as I take that little hot dog stand from outside Ken's Cafe with them, <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'll be happy. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough to be in the stadium as well during the summer, and it, the atmosphere, as you say, Mark, was just. You know, electric. I, I honestly thought it was louder than any football stadium I've ever been in. I mean, it's, it, I know it's different, and it's you know you've yeah, got Mo Farah running yeah. and everyone and Jess Ennis, and you've got this amazing feeling, happy feeling. But it was so loud, and it was yeah. so exciting, mm. and it was so exhilarating. Mm. And if we could match anything along those lines, then I think as gutter would would be to leave the bowl in, it would be it would be amazing. And you know, we as fans when we're singing bubbles. You know that's electric, and that in the, in, in the stadium would be would be awesome. And I think David Gold said today or yesterday about, you know, he won't move there unless there's certain measures put in place, and one of them is being closer to pitch and not having an athletic stadiums all all year round. So, you know, I think he's got the best interest at heart. Mm. Yeah, and I think they are going to ask the fans as well. They're not just going to say we're going to go. They're actually going to put it to the fans and ask mm. their opinion, which is important. You know, they need the support of the fans, or it won't work. Um, and I've kind of spoken to different fans when I kind of go into the game and there's mixed kind of feelings towards it but it is the fact that people are scared of change people always scared of change it gets very comfortable where you are what you're doing but to go out and something different you know it's a bit worrying but you know as you said the atmosphere I, I still think it will be there and you know that Tottenham game the atmosphere of that game imagine that in the Olympic imagine Stadium. that times two or <laughs> 1.8 whatever it would be <laughs> 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 Um, I, like, I completely agree I think the other point is that we need to accept that we're going to leave the burning ground because I think David Gold said we can't do anything there now that East Stand redevelopment is just not going to happen so if we're going to go anywhere let's go to an Olympic stadium for God's yeah. sake well, that's what I mean like when I kind of speak to people from around the world now mm. they, they know where that stadium they know where Stratford is yeah. no, it's, it's an iconic place and to have a Premier League team playing there like West Ham that's got to be a good thing for the club worldwide. Mm. Did when you did you ever walk into the Olympic Stadium like and like stand on the turf and just think West Ham might play one day? That do you ever look around and think, oh, uh, the first time I actually got in the stadium yeah. was the night uh, only I got in there to watch one event and that was Bolt win the two hundred that night. Pretty uh, good. It was pretty awesome. Go. But it was the the eight hundred that night was the most impressive thing when mm. he broke the world record. But um, I remember sitting there going, yeah, I could actually come in and watch football. It was it was awesome in there. I loved it. And I just got this massive buzz thinking, yeah, West Ham could actually play. And then the closing ceremony, being in the middle, and I was like, yeah, this is incredible. They'd love to be here, I'm sure. So I, th- I think it's definitely a good thing. Do you remember they played bubbles, didn't they, in the yeah. opening ceremony? Yeah. Tear, yeah. Tears strolled down the cheek. That's you're, you're a robot if you didn't get going mad. Yeah, everybody <laughs> loving it. <laughs> And also just to piss off Barry Hearn. <laughs> There's two reasons. <laughs> the amazing facility and pissing off Barry Hearn. That's why I want to go. That's my number one reason. <laughs> but maybe the 5,000 tickets or whatever they're going to give to the communities for, the yeah, for Barry fans. Or it must be, wouldn't must that be, be good? Fans. Wouldn't that be good? I think every West Ham fan should recruit an Orient fan. <laughs> Groom one. <laughs> um, Mark, did any of the players ask you about the, this Olympic Stadium? Have any of them said what was it like in like... Yeah, because after the kind of Olympics, I went to the club within the first few days. I was doing stuff with the kind of kids in the community and I actually played tennis on the pitch with <laughs> Afton Park with uh, David Gold. That was quite funny. David Gold? Yeah. I hope you so, won. Of course. No, <laughs> I let him win. 
good thing to keep on his good side. Um, so yeah, we you know, and then I got to kind of hang out with some of the players and got to kind of have lunch with them upstairs and chatting with Carlton Cole and Kevin Owen. And they were asking about it, and I was like, yeah, it is electric in there. Um, and you know, I think they'd love to be at the club when it actually goes there because to be part of that transformation is going to be something pretty special to play in one stadium then go to the the new stadium I think that's something you always want as a player you want the best of both worlds yeah I'm not sure Carlton Cole will be leading the players out of the Olympic <laughs> stadium <laughs> the captain's armband yeah. but it's just the in, the interest they have yeah. Um, yeah. and like when I was speaking to them they're, they're really interested because you know I, I believe sports can learn from each other and just chatting with them over food you know they they pick up on things that I did in recovery or preparing for things you know even if it's a different sport you can still learn from each other and I think that's the great thing about kind of networking or chatting with people from different sports well on that on that point about the sports learning from each other of course you gave a motivational speech to the team what was what was the story behind that how did that happen yeah that was really nerve-wracking um yeah I kind of leading up to the games in the evening standard we had like a flag bearers column so we used to kind of write about what we we're doing in training or in our lives outside and it rotate every five weeks there was five athletes and I kind of you know it's kind of when we were kind of just got relegated and I was kind of little snippets of like get me in I'd like to have a chat sort of thing to see if there is anything I can kind of talk about um, and then I got a call up uh, from one of the kind of guys at the club and he said yeah so I want you to come in and chat to the players and I'm like oh wow and like they call me on my bluff sort of thing so <laughs> I kind of went in it was October 2011 I'd literally just come back from winning the world championships in New Zealand oh, sorry in Bled and was kind of like just going through my notes of what I was going to do and kind of have a set plan that I do when I go to companies and corporate things and speak to people but obviously when you're talking to a team you're going to tailor it to their needs and what they're doing and you know how you can kind of help them in different things or not help but advise them in what you do and see if they can use it you know if they take one or two things you've done your job um so I kind of turned up at the training ground um sat in Sam's office there with him and Macca and they were like right what's it, yours. what's his office like has he got a dartboard in is it? it like, is, it like <laughs> is it like Blofeld in, uh, in Bond? It's, it's weird because you expect going to a Premier Club that it's going to be this massive, amazing facility, mm. but it's it's not. You know, it, That's probably just West Ham there. Well, I just kind of went in there and I looked at the weights and I was like, wow. You know, I thought like it would be this incredible setup, but you know, I think when they do move in the stadium, I think that would be all incorporated in that. Um, but it, it was kind of sitting in his office and you know, he's one of those people when it comes into a room everybody kind of stops and just listens you know he's very powerful and very dominant when he comes in but he's such a nice guy to talk to um and he goes right what are you going to talk about blah blah and we had a little com- five minute conversation he went right the floor's yours i'll introduce you and away you go and i'm like okay so kind of it was i'd actually had breakfast with some of the players and they didn't know why i was there it was kind of a you know surprise sort of thing uh, and I was actually sitting there with Matt Taylor having breakfast. And he was like, so what are you doing here then? And I'm like, well, I'm coming to do a talk. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, they had no idea where I was because Rowan's not like a high-profile sport, really. Um, and then I got up and uh, spoke for 45, 50 minutes about how I got from being a kill of a dream, a vision, you know, watching the Olympic Games and then getting to the top and winning. And not just about the winning, but the kind of years of frustration and disappointment and losing. And that's the thing people can relate to, is everybody suffers disappointment at some point. And obviously being relegated, that was a big point for them. And being able to turn that round and get straight back into the Premier League. So I kind of talked about turning things around, you know, not just 
being a great team, but you know, you've know got to be a great individual in that team. And you're only as good as your weakest link. It's a very you know easy term to say, but it is actually true when you come to a big team sport. So it was great to kind of you know share my experiences. And then afterwards, I said, I've got my limit gold medal. And then they all jumped up, I wanted to get to the front for a picture. And Sam was like, well, I'm number one. <laughs> and it was you know it was awesome it was like any fan's dream is to yeah. you know when you feel that something isn't going right and you want to add value i was given that opportunity and that was massive and you know i was really thankful to them and you know, it's created a real good you know respectful mutual relationship now so you know i can talk to any of them and ca- catch up with them when i want and we will be doing some sort of team building day later in the year. You know, where they come and try Rome for a bit of fun. Right. Um, so you know, it's 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 great, and I love it. You know, and after that talk, I got to sit in the dugout the following day, and that's in a we, real match. Yeah. What? Who, we, who are we playing? We beat Blackpool four 0 Yes. Yeah, Biggest can, home win. Can you take years. all the credit for that? Not really. <laughs> but, um, Three other goals you can. It was. Yeah. It was. It was great, and like being part of the celebrations afterwards. Mm. What, know, do the, what do they say on the? What do they say on the dugout? What? Do, what is? Are people? Or watching, or is there someone no, who's just kind of texting? It's, and... it's really interesting actually because the young any phone reception in West Ham anyway, dude. <laughs> no, that's that true. Never yeah. happens. Um, but it's just Sam with his phone going, fucking over. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's it's just really interesting what's the body language and how they react to things. Yeah. Um, you know, what the highs and the lows. It, and the blood pressure must be going through the roof because you know it's so up and down. You know, things are going right, things are going wrong, and the game can turn in a blink of an eye. You know, I think that's what we all love about it, though. You know, mm. but that is a stressful job when you see what they go through. Because yeah, the, when you're winning, the fans are on your side. When you're yeah. not, you know, they're on your back. Um, and I can't think of anything worse. But I remember kind of a, celebrating with them afterwards, and it was just, it was awesome. It was, it was any fan's dream, you know, to, to have the opportunity to go in there, speak to them, be part of that special day and then win like that it was just massive <laughs> what was it like in the dressing room was there hugs did you get hugged yeah it was and like yeah, high fives hugs and yeah it was just like you were kind of one of the boys it was it was weird it was really weird because you look at these guys and you know you kind of as a kid when you watch West Ham play you had your idols and these are the kids idols of today and you're hanging out with them and celebrating it was just it, yeah, it was any fan's dream. It was awesome. What was Big Sam's post-match talk like? What, what kind of demeanour does he adopt? Is he? Uh, well, because they won, it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they, and you know, I've kind of spoke to them since, and you know, it is it is brilliant. I love it. You know, mm. it's, it's something that as a kid I dreamt of being able to do something like that, and I've been able to do that. Were, were you, you in there? Were you in there for half time? Yeah, I went in for half time. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I kind of went in and out with them, right. um, and it it was like I was part of the kind of support team. That's what I felt wow. like in the so background. It, so is it old school with kind of a, a pen and a big uh, some oranges? Yeah, well, they've, pad they've got they were kind of whiteboards and monitors and stuff. So you know that football's come on a lot where they're analysing things, um, and I think that's where it's really changed. It's become more professional in that way, and to do a recovery because it wasn't like let's celebrate. It was about recovering because they had a yeah. game in a few days' mm-hmm. time. Where before, I'm sure in the old days, they'd never worried about that. Where, you know, sport is more scientific now. So you're thinking about the next performance, not the one you've just done. And I think that's where it's really changed. And kind of ice baths, compression stuff, you know, all these things that people don't really think about Mm. are such a big part when you're playing that many games in a season and, say, two games in a week. 
And how much of that do you think is Big Sam? Like, there's no Big Sam likes his analysis and his eye spots. I mean, is it is it similar to what you see in rowing and like other sports? Is is Big Sam more so or less so? Like, like yeah, that? I think he's one of the ones that's definitely engaged with looking at things outside, and I think that's really healthy. You know, because he's always looking to improve what they're doing. He's not happy to just sit there and say this is good enough. So he challenges his staff in you know to find out what how do we make this team better, not just physically. But recovery-wise, and you know all these things mentally, you know, psychology, and I think there's so many ways that you can just keep evolving and keep improving. And especially my sport has changed massively over ten years, and it's all about kind of train hard, but then also recovery is just as important. And I think that's what they've really taken on now. When you were giving your, your motivational talk, who looked least engaged? It was probably the foreign players that couldn't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually thought they weren't. They weren't actually paying attention. But then they were straight asking questions. Oh, right. Year. So it wasn't... Because, like, you know, when you, when you speak to an audience, you kind of look around and you're trying to gauge people's body language and mm. kind of eye contact. Yeah. And sometimes you always like, oh, no, this person's not engaging. Yeah. But then that's just their personality. And they're normally the ones that hand straight up with a question. It's just the way they kind of sit there. You know, they're kind of... <laughs> an introvert person they don't really kind of let themselves go sort of thing and show that they're interested in something um, and that's always kind of it's always shocking when that happens but yeah the hands were straight up but <laughs> at first I thought they can't understand me <laughs> you always imagine they're like moody teenagers don't you when someone's come to do a lecture at school yeah. and they're like oh <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably Boy. it's probably like a morning off train I don't know <laughs> but, was, but then they then they selected the team for the following day and that sort of thing and then they had their kind of 45 minute kind of knock around of one team against another mm. um, it, it was awesome it was yeah, a great it's wow. like a dream come true amazing cool okay so last thing let's talk about the Chelsea game Chelsea away uh, Mark you're friends with these players and you can see inside their eyes into their minds what they're thinking are we going to win this one I think you go there trying to get a draw definitely you don't want to you go there to get something out of that game because the thing is Chelsea aren't team that are just trying to stay where they are now they're they're trying to hold on to that second spot or tra- chase that second spot so I think and also they don't want to drop down you know it's, it's quite tight up there now so I think they will be on fire as they're showing recently um, and I think if we get a draw out of that that's that's a massive win James? Uh, I've experienced a miserable day as Chelsea away oh, but, so, um, so many to think about <laughs> it's ridiculous. I once went with a girlfriend she collapsed during the match was <laughs> it that bad? and had to be yeah we, I think we lost 5-1 I think your excuse to get out <laughs> but she got uh, stretched up she was taken on to the side of the pitch and no. stretched out she get a round of applause like <laughs> What, you left it, you stayed in your seat? Well, no, I, annoyingly, I, oh, I, I missed like, the one goal we scored, so I had to go with her. But um, that was probably one of the highlights of the Chelsea experience. <laughs> um, I don't know, I think that uh, it's going to be tough for us, but I'd like to think we might be able to get a draw. I just hope there's more Benitez out signs, because I find it really embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that is the one big thing in football at the moment, it's just what he's come out with I just can't believe he'd do it that. seems to have worked though like it, like it seems like he came out and said oh you're, fan, you, you're all idiots and they kind of it seemed like he calmed it down a bit from what I read about reports it's, it seemed like yeah. the fans were like oh uh, well he oh, was uh, just honest to them you are idiots yeah. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing yeah. I'm quite enjoying it I'm enjoying how embarrassing it is for Chelsea yeah. because I just find that but they're directing their anger at the wrong person and I just think it's just but do you, find that, yeah. do you think that's a problem in football, though? You know, it's always the manager that gets fired. Yeah. You know, there's not enough pressure put on players, you know, and 
you know, De Canio did it, mm. at, you know, kind of a... Roder. Yeah. When he kind of started doctoring players' wages or whatever, you know, he just went mental when he was, a ma- when he was managing. Yeah, swings, yeah. And mm. I think, you know, right, people thought he was crazy, but I think he's actually onto something because, you know, it should be a bit more performance-related. You know, there's too much money flying around. And when a player, you know, is not playing as well as he should or, you know, he's not shown the effort like the rest of the team is, there should be something that comes off of him rather than attacking the manager that always seems to happen. Mm, I think yeah. it's too easy to blame one person the whole time. You know, look at the players. You know, look at the team. What's going on? And I know, like Chelsea, have been very successful, but I think they really just they destroy the ethics of football with the way they just fire people. I just mm. think it's terrible. Yeah, Abramovich is um, essentially have sold their soul. So fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you expect? He's a gangster. He's <laughs> what is he going to do? He's lucky. He's not. They're lucky. He's not killing them. Right? Because that's what would happen in Siberia. You'd be slung, slung in a gulag for a winter, and that'd be that. But like, it, at least, you know, but it's, it, it, he just has so much control, though. I know mm. you're an owner; you you pump a lot of money into the team. But surely, you know, you employ the best people so you don't have to get involved. Mm. You know, surely he's learnt that from the billions he's earned, you yeah. know, or wherever he's got his money from. I don't know, but surely that's being a good manager or a leader that you employ the best people to do the best job, so you don't have to keep interfering. Mm. Um, and obviously he's not very good with that with football really when you think about it you know the guy that won the Champions League uh, Demon Tate I think I don't know why he signed for after that he should have just left but I just thought he was foolish going back in because he'd done something very unique for the club Um, and then silly enough he decided he wanted to stay on when that was just a fairy tale couple of months it wasn't anything that was going to last you could just see that but he knows he'll get a big payoff yeah but surely he's minted anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Mm. Always more money. Yeah. Well, okay. So all we can hope from that Chelsea game is that uh, I mean we've got plenty of ammunition. The banter is going to be nice. That's really all I'm interested um, in, uh, in between the fans. If Frank plays, Azure is going to. Oh God. Is he going to get booed? Or are they going to be nice to him? He always scores against us. Yeah, I mean, he scores against a lot of people. But, um... <laughs> do you, but do you think when he does finish at Chelsea, he will come back? So, to us. Do you reckon? No I would, way. Here's what. He'd I be would mad. Love him. It happens I all would, the time. I would like him back. I like Joe like Cole's come back. You yeah, know, people but, do yeah, like yeah. to come back where yeah. they started from. He's had so much hate, though. I was watching... Um, the, so the, much You hate. know when uh, we beat uh, United in the FA Cup and uh, De Canio put it around Barthez? Lampard was captain that day. Like, uh, no. I just... I, I hate the way we hate him so much, even though I join in with it. Like, I was, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I would kind of like, he's an academy player at the end of the day, and I would like to see him like. Um, back, Rio re- back. I'd like to rehabilitate Frank Lampard. They will come back at the end. Yeah. Rio, Rio, yeah. Yeah. Lampard, Bring them all back. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. All right. It's a nice place to come to die. <laughs> <laughs> see. Uh, Ian Wright, Neil Ruddock, <laughs> Nigel Winterburn, Neil Ruddock wouldn't fit Rufus in. Brevet. Have to helicopter him in. <laughs> um, okay. Rufus Brevet. <laughs> he was a great the, player. Pulled out the air. He was a, I actually <laughs> thought he'd retired for about five years when we signed him. <laughs> <laughs> Same with Sheridan. He's still playing and he plays for us. Embarrassing. Um all right, well, that kind of concludes this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. You can continue the debate by uh, following myself, CJ Skull, Skull with a C. That's become my new catchphrase, Skull with a C, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow James on Long as One, and, of course, Mark Hunter. Not that you need the followers. You've got, like, 18,000. I could have some more, though. Mark Hunter, GB, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you can follow yeah, Mark on Twitter, and also, of course, you can debate uh, this episode and everything Knees at Mother Brown and West Ham on the KUMB.com forum. You can also follow the editor of uh, Knees at Mother Brown. His Twitter handle is KUMBDOTCOM. So thank you very much, Mark, Olympic gold medalist, for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been great fun. Look forward to having you again soon. And James, thanks for turning up, as always. Always a pleasure. Um, We'll see you after we've collected three points against Chelsea. Cheers. Bye.